Hello and welcome to the International Trade Resource Podcast, your go-to source for insights and information on all aspects of international trade. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a trade professional, or just curious about the global marketplace, we've got you covered. From customs regulations to export strategies, from emerging markets to international finance, we explore the latest trends and best practices that drive global commerce. Our host, Kim Kirkendall, sits down with a diverse range of experts who navigate the complex world of international trade and help you stay ahead of the game. So get ready to learn about the ins and outs of international trade on the International Trade Resource Podcast. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of International Trade Resources Podcast. And I'm excited today to have with us Zach Selch, who is going to talk to us about boosting distributor engagement. And Zach is the principal and owner of Global Sales Mentor. He also has a book with that name and has decades of experience leading global sales teams uh, as CEO of some companies, working to develop and grow sales and business for both clients as well as the companies that he worked for. So we're super excited, Zach, to have you join us here today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Kim. I'm very excited to be here. Well, listeners, we're going to jump right in, as we always do. We're mindful of the time. Let's start by defining what good distributor engagement looks like. What kind of benefits does it bring a company? Well, I'm going to start with the second part of that question, if you don't mind. I'm going to make a bold statement, but I believe in it, and, and I think my experience backs it up. If you are a under $500 million manufacturer and you are selling internationally B2B, Virtually the single most important thing for you for for your sales is the distributor engagement and especially the salesperson engagement. Everything else is pretty much secondary, right? If you have engaged, competent, and accountable distributor salespeople working for you, selling your products, you're going to sell a lot. If you don't, you're not going to sell a lot. And I've seen people try all sorts of other ways. And it, it just doesn't work, in my opinion. So your growth, your sales growth, your revenue all really are dependent, heavily dependent on the sales uh, engagement, the salesperson engagement. So what does that look like? Um, very basically, what you want, you want your sale, the salespeople who are working for your distributors to feel that you are their their best and favorite principle. You want them to feel like they're part of a team. You want them to be doing the type of things you would expect from an employed salesperson. Uh, and you want them to be giving you significantly more resources and time and mind share than would be fair. And what do I mean by that? Let's say they, just for simplicity's sake, let's say they each represent five product lines that means they should be giving you eight hours a week. What you want is significantly more than that, right? The more hours you're going to get, the more mind share you're going to get from your distributors, the more you're going to sell. And that's pretty much everything in a nutshell. That makes a lot of sense. So fundamentally, I like the way you put it, you know, you want to be their favorite, right? You know, the number one product, the number one company that they're out there representing. So to create a program 
that results in good engagement and good connection with your distributor salespeople. What are the fundamental building blocks of that? Uh, sorry, Kim, I'm going to flip that question again. I don't want to be problematic, but I just want to restructure it slightly. Let's think first what we're trying to achieve, right? What, what every sales guy, every salesperson from the distributors wakes up every morning and decides what they want to sell. They have other options and they're probably doing pretty well today, right? They're probably affluent. They're probably successful. And we can't just throw money at them. We can't say, well, we're going to give you more money than any other product gives you. So what we want to do is we want to give them better tools. We want to give them a feeling of community. Okay. We want to give them a feeling that we really care about them. Typically, what I can tell you is distributor salespeople very often make a lot of money, but they don't necessarily have the same type of community, the same type of support, the same type of training as manufacturer salespeople. So, so for instance, the Siemens or the GE guy in Qatar uh, probably makes less than a good distributor sales guy, but the distributor sales guy doesn't have the office to go into every day with, with hundreds of people and training and uh, an annual sales meeting and all of those things, right? So if you as a principal can give the distributor salespeople what they're looking for, right? You're supporting them, you're mentoring them, you're training them, you're giving them um, that type of thing, right? It is a lot cheaper than throwing money at them and you're giving them what they want, okay? And uh, let me give you some concrete examples of that, right? Uh, one of the things that I do, I've, I did as a VP and now I do for my clients is I run things like monthly masterminds for distributor salespeople. So you have distributor salespeople from 40 countries around the world. They're each in a small office with one or two colleagues, and suddenly they're part of a community of 100 salespeople around the world that get together every month to talk about the problems that they share and their successes and to, to celebrate each other. And then also to learn something practical about selling, right? We have you know newsletters, all those type of things that drive engagement and community among the salespeople. Um, I have a, a, what, one of my favorite tricks, which has phenomenal return on investment is I like to take about a third of my booth at big trade shows and make it into a distributor salesperson lounge, right? You, you wall it off, you put in a couple of couches, a coffee machine, a closet for coats, maybe some beer, some cold water, and you tell the salespeople they can come and rest whenever they want. Now, if you think about it, a distributor sales guy comes to a trade show and he has you know 20 or 30 people he wants to visit over a four-day period. He comes by, he says, hello to you, you chat for a minute, that's all you're going to see him. If he knows that every time he gets tired, he can come hang out at your place and have a beer or a cup of coffee, uh, he'll come back. And then you get him for five hours, eight hours instead of 15 minutes. If you set up a place for him to leave his coat and, and bag, He'll come by in the morning, leave his coat and bag. He'll come by in the afternoon to pick up his coat and bag. You're seeing him twice a day for four days where all the other principals are seeing him for a few seconds, a few minutes, right? Um, I used to do a really fantastic uh, distributor sales meeting where we invited spouses and kids to come. 
And we didn't pay for them. We paid for the salespeople, but they were allowed to bring their spouses and kids. And then we had like a kid camp and we had uh, events every night for everybody and all this. And the kids got to know kids of other salespeople. The wives got to know spouses of other, the spouses got to know spouses of other salespeople. And you know that if a salesperson was thinking of quitting his job working for my distributor, he would then have to talk to his, uh, you know, his wife and, and explain to his kids why they weren't going to see their friends anymore. Explain to his wife why she wasn't going to the annual meeting anymore, right? And that created a huge stickiness in my distributor salespeople to the extent that very often, if if somebody left one distributor, they'd try to get a job with another distributor just to stay working with me as a principal, right? I have, you know, you go to my LinkedIn page, you'll see. 30 salespeople uh, over the years who who say that I was their mentor much more than their actual boss was, right? Now, this is an altruism. This is what gets you sales growth. I love it. You know, I love it. It's And I think it's, it's um, fascinating for people to hear that looking at the entire employee and their whole work experience and commitment and, and the, the return that they're getting from that job, rather than just looking at how do we incentivize dollars? So more sales dollars is more dollars, because certainly that's important to people. But more and more, especially I think in post-COVID, people are more aware of what they're lacking in having that community. And so, you know, this type of um, program as you're, that you're talking about, I think it's, it's very powerful. You know, it's a very, and, and people could use it with their internal teams and probably don't, right? Oh yeah. And that's actually like, uh, I think if you're not, if you have a direct sales team and you're not doing stuff like this, you're really not doing your job well. But most people miss out on this with with distributor salespeople. When you throw in the distributor salespeople into the mix, you just drive. You know, it, it's it's sort of funny. I, I you know I'll talk about this sort of later. But I'll say to people, yeah, you know, I drove 100% sa- uh, growth here. I've driven 1,000% growth four times, and people sort of don't believe it. They're like, how can that possibly be? What could you possibly do? And you basically say, well, here's the thing. When I started out, we were getting X sales hours out of our distributors. And three years later, we were getting 25X, right? So if you if you increase the number of sales hours by 25 times, you're going to increase sales at least by 10 times, right? And uh, and maybe maybe more, maybe significantly more. And the thing is, with a distributor program, it is really easy you know, most of my clients, most of the companies I've worked for were selling internationally for 20 or 30 years and thought they were doing a pretty good job. And then you turbocharge it by dramatically increasing sales hours by getting engagement and competency from the distributor salespeople and your sales skyrocket, right? I, I like to call it hockey stick growth, right? There's no reason why you can't take a sharp cut where you're growing dramatically just by increasing those sales hours with the distributors. And and people don't even think about it. You, know, you, you save a couple of thousand bucks and you're losing $12 million in sales. It's, it's, it's crazy. I think people tend to assume that 
this type of motivation is the distributor's problem. It is. And, and so they excuse themselves from having any responsibility or even opportunity to make a difference in this space. So I think that's really the first big shift that you're asking people to make. Oh, you're, you're a hundred percent right. But, but look, we, we just had a conversation a couple of minutes ago before the show started about the opposite thing about supply chain, right? You go into a factory and you, you know, you're buying something from, uh, from China or you're buying something from Korea and you go take a look and you, you might get involved in the business of your supplier, which somebody could say, well, that's none of your business. You know, let him deliver product to you. And if it's good, it's good. If it's not good, you know, it's his fault, right? Oh, that's one way of looking at it. Or you can say, well, what can I do to make sure that this guy is going to give me the best product? I can work with my distributors and I can say, well, yeah, they're an independent businessman. I sign an agreement with them. They either make orders or they don't make orders. And I sit back and relax and, and it is what it is. That's one way of looking at it. Or I can say, what can I do to make sure that I'm going to get the most sales possible out of my distributors? And I'll tell you something, you know, I'll, I'll answer the question you haven't asked. Do I get into conflicts with the distributors sometimes? Sure. I've had distributors, you know, complain to my CEO about me. I've had distributors, you know, uh, I've had uh, a bunch of distributors once all my Latin American distributors ganged up on me and said that they weren't going to uh, do what I asked them to do. And what could I do about it, right? And and I had to essentially threaten to fire them one at a time until, you know, I said, I can't fire all of you. I can I can put all your names in a hat, pull out a name randomly every week and fire you one at a time until you all give in. And uh, and they, they gave in. And three years later, they were all selling about 300% of what they had been selling at the beginning, which was money in their pocket. They made a lot more out of it personally than I did which is fair, but they benefited from my pushing them around a little bit and getting involved in their business. And three years, they all hated me at the time. Three years later, they all loved me, right? So, you know, that's that's the way it works. And that's the way a lot of business works. People don't have to like you. You know, people sometimes are going to push back. People are going to say you're getting to, you know, you're getting in their in their business. You're doing things that are inappropriate, maybe business wise. But in the end of the day, that's how you get results. You push people to improve what they're doing. You're 100 percent correct that this is the same situation in supply chains. And I'm always encouraging my clients. You know, you I can walk into a client's factory in, in Asia and I can tell them you need to change your quality management system. You need to, you know, you need to do this or that. And, and, and in most cases, they're thrilled because, you know, in that culture, it's, it's a more positive sort of, you care enough to come over and help us do better, you know, but, but a lot of times in Western cultures, the attitude is they're not going to want me to do that. It's not my place to do that. I'm overstepping. And so people don't even try. But people don't even try that. That's exactly right. People don't try. And I think that it's really an attitude of I'm not disciplining, controlling you. I am empowering and, you know, um, improving the situation for you. You know, that's really what we're going in and doing. Right. It's not about discipline and control, but you need to flip that mindset 
um, to to allow yourself to think about how can I provide support more more robust support than I have in the past. Yes, but I will push back on one word you're using. Right is very often a company will say, well, I need a channel manager and that channel manager supports our distributors. And I like to say, no, the channel manager manages the distributors Mm. and leads the distributors and and that mindset. And and again, sometimes I'll go into a company and they'll say, well, yeah, we have 40 customers. I said, do you mean you have 40 distributor partners? They'll say, yeah, 40 customers. I say, never refer to them as customers. They are part of your sales organization. They are an outsourced part of your sales organization. And if you think of them as customers, the customer is always right. If you think of them as part of your sales organization, they are essentially independent business people who are part of your sales organization. That's that still means that they have some responsibilities and they have you know you can accountability. an accountability, exactly. And people overlook that accountability. Like I'll, I'll talk to people and they'll say, Well, it's impossible to forecast international sales. Because the channel partners won't give me that information. And I'll say, well, did you put it in your distributor agreement? And they'll say, no. I said, well, if you had put it in your distributor agreement, they would have an obligation. And they'd say, well, would they, they wouldn't have signed it. And I'll say, well, I don't know. I've had a thousand partners over the years sign a distribution agreement with that accountability in the agreement. And nobody pushed back. They might say, well, you know, can we do this on a bi-weekly basis instead of a weekly basis? Can we do it on a quarterly basis? Can we not use your CRM? Can we use our CRM? Various things like that. But nobody said, hey, Zach, I'm not going to sign this agreement because I don't want to give you any information about what I'm doing, right? If you ask for it, uh, you know, if you ask for it, they will give you the information you need. And that's how you forecast internationally, right? Yeah, I think that's I think that's great. You know, I think that's a great takeaway for our listeners. And you mentioned, you know, that many times the distributors have, you know, they're in a different market, they're in a different country, they have a different CRM, they have a different timeline. So one of the issues I think for for managing a global distributor program is the those differences. Customers can see the product differently in each market. So while you want to be directive with your distributor and their team, you also want to be listening, right? Because you need to be learning and understanding what's happening in their market and how your current model may not work or your current message may not work. Can you talk about that a little bit? Like how can you create that two-way communication? Oh, that that's great. But I'll also say... You have to be a little careful about that because, you you know, very often you'll go into a market and your distributor will say, well, your product has to be green to sell in our market because the last customer they talked to asked for it to be green or because they like green or something like that. I'm I'm using green just as as a silly example. And then you say, okay, this is this is, you know, this is the truth from God here. It has to be green. And you do all this. uh heroic uh, work in your factory to try and change the product for the market, which may or may not be profitable afterwards. It might work. It might not. Right. So you have to also say, okay, 
I'm going to talk to other people. I'm going to find a little bit more information. I'm going to make sure that this information from the distributor, because the distributor, again, like, I, you know, uh, I'm going to go back on what I said and, and, you know, change it a little bit, right? The distributor is part of your sales organization, but his interests and your interests are not aligned 100%. And if everything he says you take as as absolute truth, you're probably doing a disservice to your company as well. So you have to take that information and other sources of information uh, and, and make sure it makes sense. And very often people will come and they'll say, now, uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. You, you know, basically you could say, well, in most of Asia, the wall plugs are shaped differently they are than they are in the States. So it's almost impossible to sell a product made in the U.S. that installs into electricity in the wall without changing that. Okay, that's a very clear, objective problem, right? Um, you can't sell a lot of products that involve some type of software interface if they can't handle other language alphabets. So you can't expect everybody to use it in English or you're going to be selling to a tiny fraction of the market, those type of things. But very often people will come and they'll they'll make demands about the product that are quite expensive for you to change and they might not actually influence sales. So you have to balance those things very carefully. And very often I'll say to distributors or their salespeople, I'll say, okay, so are you telling me you can't sell the product now? Um, you know, do you want to resign the line? If, if I can't make those changes, will you resign the line? And, and nine times out of 10, they'll say, no, no, that isn't what I'm saying. I'm saying I could probably sell more if you made it green. And then we have to make a decision if that you know, makes sense to make changes. So you have to balance those things out. But, but, I, I do agree with you in a lot of cases, you just have to be very sensitive about how the product is going to be used in the in the other market, how what the messaging is, certainly. I mean, we all have heard these stories about about messaging that that um, has really hurt people because it's totally culturally inappropriate. And we have to be careful about those type of things. Um how we make presentations to people, how we build rapport with people and build trust, uh, those things are different in every market. And um, you know, we, we, we have to depend on our distributor partners to help us with that. And we also have to learn about that. You know, we can't, you know, you can't go into Nigeria and meet a senior person and suddenly start talking business without having established a little bit of personal rapport with them, that isn't going to work. And sometimes, you know, Americans are in a hurry and they they land in countries, they'll, you know, Japan and, you know, thinking about like Japan and Nigeria and Saudi Arabia, countries where we do, a, Americans do a lot of business are very often countries where the personal relationship is hugely important and Americans uh, try to rush that, right? And and those type of things are, are really detrimental to business. And you have to trust your distributor to help you with those things. Yeah, it's it's definitely critical, um, the messaging piece of this and the cultural nuances. Um, I've been in many situations like that myself. Yeah. Um, so we're getting near the end of our time, and I don't want to leave you and leave our listeners without one other, I think, important aspect of this conversation, 
which is how do you measure distributor engagement? So I'll tell you what, there's two answers to that. One is uh, one time I came into a company and um, I went around with the regional sales manager. I was the VP. I went around with the regional sales manager and a distributor kept us waiting in his lobby for almost three hours. And I said to my regional manager, I said, I don't mind waiting, but this shows he has absolutely no respect for you. Uh, if he's making you wait in the lobby, you're, you're just not important. Right. Uh, so that's sort of like the extreme example that you have to keep an eye on. But what I'm trying to look at is figure out how many hours they're giving me. And, and I track that. If I'm talking to all, if, if uh, somebody in my team, if, if me as the VP or me as a consultant and the regional sales managers are talking to the salespeople and we know how many hours they're putting into my product and we're keeping track of that, we want to make sure that they're putting in enough hours. They're uh, following our guidelines. They're coming into our play, you know, with where, if I have an online playbook, they're coming in and reading, they're, they're attending the events that I'm holding. All of those things indicate engagement. And then very often what I do for both my clients and I did in the past is I'll do a monthly, uh, sorry, an annual uh, survey, which will basically ask specific questions to get a feel for, do they really understand my messaging? Do they understand how to sell the product? Are they doing the right things to keep track of how well they're doing? But, you know, if you see, you know, if you go to a trade show and everybody wants to have dinner with you, you know they're engaged with you. They have plenty of other options, right? If if people are showing up and they're engaging with you and they're they're interacting with you as opposed to their other principles, that's a really good sign. But on the way there, you want to use things like polls and surveys and stuff like that to measure it. All right, you guys, sorry to tell you listeners, this is it. This is as much time as we get to pick Zach's brain. Um, but you can find him on LinkedIn. The last name is spelled S-E-L-C-H. And we'll put his name in the show notes and information for you to find. He and I are connected um, on LinkedIn. So you can also identify him there. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, appreciate it. Appreciate your sharing your knowledge openly with the audience. I know, I know they're going to have learned a lot. Thank you for having me, Kim. I look forward to talking to your listeners. All right, you guys. We'll see you on the next episode of International Trade Resources Podcast. And I hope you all have a great week. That's all for this episode of the International Trade Resource Podcast. We hope you found this discussion insightful and informative. To find more episodes and more information on all things international trade, check out our website at www.intltraderesources.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review on your favorite platform to help us spread the word. Join us next time for more exciting insights on the global marketplace. Until then, keep thinking globally.